Our first lesson this morning is instructive for our Lenten fasting. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 58. It's page 499 in those pew Bibles in front of you in the pews. Page 499 in the pew Bibles, it is Isaiah 58. And let us begin with the first, uh, first verse. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. God is telling his prophet to grab the people's attention and to accuse them of their sin, warning them of the danger they are in because of that sin. The reference to a trumpet in the simile gives a note of alarm, right? That's a note of, hey, something important's happening, and usually was the entrance of the king or royalty, that sort of thing. In our text, same idea that, hey, a note of alarm, pay attention. Continuing on in the passage of verse 2, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? Here we have the picture of the perfect religious person or uh, nation in this case, a people in the eyes of man. Says one scholar, a people honoring God with their lips, but whose hearts are far from him. Zealous in all the outward forms of religion, but yet altogether an offense to God. They are not conscious hypocrites, quite the reverse. They are bent on doing righteousness, on not forsaking God's ordinance, on continually approaching him. But they are holy without a proper sense of what religion is. They make, a, make it a matter of outward observance and do not understand that it consists in the devotion of the heart. Israel at that time was a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. The righteousness referred, referenced is, of course, forensic legal righteousness. The offering of the appointed sacrifices, the abstaining from unclean meats, the avoidance of external defilement, the payment of vows, the observance of the one appointed fast, and the like. <clears throat> they were doing all the things. They were taking care of the ordinances, the rules, the, the laws. They are behaving as the perfect Old Testament Christian, at least on the outside. But the outside is not the only thing that God is concerned with. He is, of course, even more concerned with the heart. As David reminds us in Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Please get this point, if nothing else. God is not concerned only with the heart. God is not concerned only with the outer appearance. God actually asks that you do the right thing, that you follow the rules, so to speak, with the right heart. 
So when you do a good deed with a bad heart, it's not counted to your credit very much. Like God's like, well, you know, I'm glad you did it, I'm sure, but where was the heart? Now, I have many young people over many years of teaching that will say, well, you know, Father, I just don't have the right heart, so I'm not going to do it. Well, it would be better to do the right thing with a bad heart than not to do the right thing. But it would be better yet to do the right thing with the right heart. Virtues are habits that we have to form. So we have to do the right thing a lot of times before we might start to develop a heart attitude that is the right heart attitude. The Israelites seem to have forgotten this idea of the heart. Again, they're very good at forgetting this. But think about ourselves. We are very good at forgetting this as well. The Israelites are doing all the right things, but then they complain. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? Don't you see me down here, sackcloth and ashes? I'm really, this is hurting me. I haven't, you know the truth. I haven't eaten anything. I'm fasting. It's like you don't care, God. The day of fasting likely being referred to in our text is the fasting on the day of atonement. The words they use, why have we afflicted our souls, are the same words used in the institution of that very fast in Leviticus. Let me quote. This shall be a statue forever for you. On this, in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. The Israelites want to know why God isn't so pleased with them that he's throwing a party. They are doing all the right things, but their heart is far from God. The text now turns sharply and starts to accuse. In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and you exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Fasting for these Christians, these Old Testament Christians, was not a time of testing and strengthening, but rather a time of pleasure, maybe even of ease. They may have been fasting from work as they were instructed, but they definitely were not following the command to have their servants fast from work. Days of religious observance, even under the law, were always intended to be days of kindly forbearance towards the poor, of the remission of burdens, or even of the actual giving of relief. <clears throat> God asks if this outward appearance is the fast that he has chosen for his people. The last two lines of verse 5. Would you call this a fast? An acceptable day to the Lord? I mean, this is almost like contemporary. You call this fasting, right? I mean, that's what it sounds like. And that's what it's supposed to sound like. He then answers the question by illustrating the fast that he has chosen for his people. Is this not the fast that I've chosen? Not what you're doing, but isn't this it? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the heavy burdens? 
to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? This fast that has just been explained has a very different character, doesn't it? The Jews call the true fast the fasting of the heart. And this heart fast brings real-time redemption to many, whether it be liberation from oppression or food to eat, clothes to wear, and shelter over one's head. In the early Christian church, almsgiving was connected with fasting by law. It was also accepted as a moral axiom that fasting and alms were the wings of prayer. Fasting and alms. Have you ever seen a bird fly with one wing? Fasting and almsgiving. The things we give up and the things we give out. Right? It takes both. Then, says our text, after you have fasted in this way, the fast of the heart, then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then shall you call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. Let's look at one more if-then statement regarding this fasting. Continuing with the second part of verse 9. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness. Your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. Then you shall be a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. What beautiful promises does our current culture and society need the repairer the repairers of breach of breaches do they not need people to do this does our culture not need people to be the restorers of streets to dwell in what a joyful vision of the life of life with god not only will our lives be like the garden of paradise but we shall build repair restore and establish the kingdom. I would like to close this morning by reading the alternative first lesson appointed for today. It's somewhat lengthened, so listen closely. <clears throat> I'd like to read it from Ecclesiasticus chapter 2 and in light of our lesson from Isaiah 58. May we see this as the wisdom to fulfill our calling to fast from the heart this Lent. My son, if you come forward to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for temptation. Set your heart right and be steadfast and do not be hasty in time of calamity. Cleave to him and do not depart. Accept whatever is brought upon you and in changes that humble you, be patient. For gold is tested in the fire and acceptable men in the furnace of humiliation. Trust in him and he will help you. Make your ways straight and hope in him. You who fear the Lord, wait for his mercy 
and turn not aside lest you fall. You who fear the Lord, trust in him and your reward, reward will not fail. You who fear the Lord, hope for good things, for everlasting joy and mercy. Consider the ancient generations and see whoever trusted in the Lord and was put to shame or whoever persevered in the fear of the Lord and was forsaken or whoever called upon him and was overlooked. For the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He forgives sins and saves in times of affliction. Woe to timid hearts and to slack hands and to the sinner who walks along two ways. Woe to the faint heart for it has no trust. Therefore, it will not be sheltered. Woe to you who have lost your endurance. What will you do when the Lord punishes you? Those who fear the Lord will not disobey his words, and those who love him will keep his ways. Those who fear the Lord will seek his approval, and those who love him will be filled with the law. Those who fear the Lord will prepare their hearts and will humble themselves before him. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, but not into the hands of men. For as his majesty is, so also is his mercy. Amen.